Just the other day, I received this message from one of our former medical students, who's now an OBGYN resident, who was a little confused about a genetic condition. So the message said, hey, Dr. Chapa, I'm, I'm a little confused. Is the George syndrome the same issue as velocardiofacial syndrome? Or is that something completely different? Because one of my attendings told me that they were not the same thing. Oh my goodness, there's a lot to cover here. Velocardiofacial syndrome is absolutely one of the manifestations of the George syndrome. So yeah, I think I need to send that attending some CME info. <laughs> but the George syndrome, oh my goodness, what a complicated condition for such a little area of a single chromosome being affected. Okay, first let's talk about the condition's descriptive name, 22Q11.2, all right? So the George syndrome is 22Q11.2. That's its descriptive name rather than its formal name, which is the George syndrome. Now, we're going to get into what that actually means in just a minute. But this is really a confusing condition because it has such a variable presentation. And some people are just mildly affected and some are devastated by this condition. We're going to make it all super clear and super plain in this episode. We're going to talk about the different phenotypes, the genetic basis, and of course, the management of a person affected with DeGeorge syndrome. Now, if you're thinking, um, what does this have to do with obstetrics? Uh, everything? Because according to some experts, any child that is found to have a significant cardiac defect on prenatal ultrasound, of course, should have chromosomal microarray to look for uh, chromosomal overt anomalies, but it should also have a search for micro deletions because up to 20%, 20% of significant cardiac malformations that are found on prenatal ultrasound may actually reflect the George syndrome. That's right. So we're going to talk about all of that in this episode. And we're going to talk about, of course, formal diagnosis. So let me throw this out to you as we're still in the intro. Can a maternal genetic screening test look for this? And what about non-invasive prenatal tests? Oh, we're going to get up to all of that and more in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You see, this is exactly why I thought that'd be a good episode. By the way, when you are a, a, a podcast uh, person, a podcast host, whatever you call it, um, and somebody asks you a question, I'm telling you, this is how morbid this is. Because the first thing that I think of is, what is the answer to that? The second thing is, ooh, would that be a good podcast topic? <laughs> this happened just the other day on something completely different. We had a patient in our, uh, in our clinic that had this episodic little flare of this little nodule that was uh, in the inguinal area. 
uh, every time she would menstruate, every time she'd have a period, this little nodule, not under the skin, but on top of the skin, would make this little purple uh, blister, and they'd become kind of reddish and blue. It would never really pop, and then it'd just kind of go away, and it'd come back, and never really, it didn't completely, you know, uh, uh, resolve. But in between cycles, it just kind of became this little kind of flesh-covered little area, and then it would swell up. And uh, one of our fantastic uh, MPs said, you know, I just don't know what this is. It doesn't look like hydroetinitis. Uh, plus, she's thin. She is Caucasian. She doesn't smoke. All factors that point away from it typically in the prototypical hydroetinitis patient, which is typically African-American, tends to have a higher BMI and smoke, uh, which are all aggregating factors for the condition. And I said, oh, well, if it's not hydroetinitis, uh, it could be uh, cutaneous endo. And so that led to that whole discussion. And then, of course, my second thing is, ooh, that'd be a great podcast topic. <laughs> so that's coming at some point down the road. But, but the exact same thing happened with this discussion, which we had over uh, Facebook Messenger. Uh, so my first answer was, oh, my goodness, how did that attending tell you that that is not the same thing? Because it, it, it is. And my second thing is, yeah, that's definitely a good podcast topic. But the third point <laughs> to make from that is, this is, this is why the George Syndrome really gets a lot of confusion and why we people are, are, are moving away from these these names, these formal names like DeGeorge uh, or uh, Velocardiofacial uh, Syndrome because people forget what they are. And so we're, people are now talking about just using the descriptive term, which is 22Q11.2. I know it's a lot to say. It's a mouthful. It's much easier to say DeGeorge. Um, but this is what happens. And this is what happened traditionally for like, you know, 40 years is that before the true genetic basis of this condition was found, people were reporting all of these weird different manifestations. And oh my gosh, there's just some of the weird facies. Some would come up with, oh my goodness, there's some weird cardiac issues. And others would say, oh, there's these developmental delays. Uh, and they weren't really connecting the line, the thread through all those points. Truth is, all of those uh, were forms of DeGeorge, uh, of, of Q, of 22Q11.2. So, yes, let's just say that right off the bat. Absolutely, velocraniofacial syndrome is absolutely uh, in the DeGeorge family, okay? And again, so if people ask, well, what is DeGeorge? Our first response should be, oh, do you mean 22Q11.2 deletion sequence or syndrome? Because that really is, is the better way to, to call this versus all of the other names that have been attributed to this, which we will briefly touch on in this episode, all right? But this really is a fascinating condition. And like I talked about during the sickle cell episode, look, I my heart goes out to anybody with any kind of affliction, but specifically ones where they didn't ask for it, right? Cancer, I mean, that sucks. I mean, it just kind of happens uh, unless it's something that's, you know, behavior related, like 50 years of smoking that's not good for you uh but i just i just feel for them because man they're just born they didn't ask to have any kind of genetic issue uh and and boom they have it and, and the same goes with this now one of the tricks with 22q 11.2 is wow once once you get to the end of this episode you're gonna go my goodness have i seen people with this um because it is so varied so if you ask hey can this affect bones yeah uh, what about uh, renal system? Sure. Uh, what about uh, the face? Yep. The heart? Yep. Does that too. Uh, what about the immune system? Yeah. 
does that too. You're like, what? I mean, it's it's so friggin' vast because there's so many different kinds of phenotypes slash presentations because it has varied penetrance. And we don't even know why that is yet. We have a good idea about flanking genes, and I'll discuss that in a minute, and epigenetic expression. But but why is there not one 22Q uh, 11.2 picture. There isn't. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that this can present. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we had a patient when I was back in Dallas in our office who, uh, when I first started, when I first finally figured out how did George looked and, and why it's so complex, uh, it really made sense to me that, wow, one of our workers, uh, I think, had to George. And once I described the facial syndromes, the intellectual, you know, little delays, which could be severe in some cases, um, I'm like, wow, I think this, I think she really had the George syndrome and was never diagnosed. That's a huge thing because once we go through this episode, you're going to think, oh, wow, did that person have that or not? Because there's so many people that are not diagnosed. This is why it's important, guys. During that initial prenatal visit or preconception care to go look, anybody in the family of any kind of uh, mental handicap, mental learning disability, uh, do, do, do they look a little different than the other members of the family? Don't say, do they look weird? I had once a, <laughs> a medical student in, in Dallas. This is a long time ago. We were doing a, a, a initial intake. He goes, do you have any, any family members that are really funny looking? I'm like, oh my God, get out of the room. Get out. Just leave. Don't, <laughs> never say that again. <laughs> you know, and I know what he was trying to say, but um, yeah, don't do that. Just do any family members not look the same or have typical, have features not typical to the rest of your family. Those are all flags. That doesn't mean that everybody with weird features has this, but I'm saying those are markers, especially with some physical uh, uh, anomalies and or learning disabilities, okay? So uh, we're going to get to all of that in this episode. Now that we've settled that, let's get back to the descriptive name. What what is 22Q11.2? Because you see, even the way that we say it, 22Q11.2, it's not actually 11. Did y'all know that? The 11 isn't an 11. Those are two ones together. You're like, uh, isn't that 11? No, no, no. It's the one means something. The second one next to it means something else. So it's it's actually not an 11. It is one with meaning, one with another meaning, and then comes the point two. All right, so 22Q11.2. Let's discuss what that means and why those two little ones are independent of each other and is not the number 11. 22Q11.2 deletion syndrome is caused by a little tiny deletion, hence why it's called a micro deletion, on the small part of chromosome 22. All right. So the 22, the first number in its descriptive name is chromosome 22. The Q, remember that each chromosome has a little tiny part and a longer part. The tiny part of the chromosome is called the P arm and the longer part is called the Q arm. Everybody good? So this is chromosome 22 and it affects the long arm. All right. Now, on to the 11 part. Remember, this is actually not 11. Rather, it is two number ones together, which means the first one stands for region one of the P uh, of the Q chromosome uh, of the Q arm, which is the part closest uh, to to the, the, the centromere, the little pinchy part, right, that separates the long arm from the short arm, right? So the first one of the 11 means region one, 
The second one means band one. And then after the point, the number two refers to subband two. All right, so let's do that again. 22Q, 11.2, even though it's not an 11, it's just easier to say then. 22Q, 11.2, right? So most people say Q, 11.2, knowing that it's actually not an 11, all right? So the, let's do this again, just to recap. 22Q means this is on the 22nd chromosome on the long arm. The first one is region one, that's closest to the centromere. Band one, which is the second one uh, of the 11. And then the point two, the two refers to subband two. So the way you would say this is 22Q 11.2 refers to a micro deletion on the 22nd chromosome on its long arm at region one, band one, subband two. This is really remarkable, and this is a testimony to just how precise, I mean, what a machine our body is, okay, guys? Because this is a micro-deletion, and along with micro-duplications, collectively, whenever you hear copy number variants or, or CNVs, that's what they're talking about, all right? Little small areas of duplication, little small areas of deletion. And the vast number of copy number variants, guys, to be honest, uh, don't mean anything. They're physiological, genetic uh, 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 variants. They, they, they just kind of happen in nature. It's okay. Most copy number variants are not bad. But when they affect a very specific area of genes, then you get problems. Okay? So now just think about this for a minute because I think this is fascinating. On the 46 chromosomes that we have, all of the genes that we have, this condition of 22Q11.2 that affects only about anywhere from 30 to 40 genes. That's it, guys. 30 to 40 genes of all the genes that we have on our 46 chromosomes, you can get this wicked uh, phenotype of this condition. Does that make sense? I mean, do you see how precise things work? It's amazing. We're not talking about like missing large bases here. Uh, you know, those are called macro deletions. That obviously is, is an issue. But I just think it's fascinating that we're talking about anywhere from one to five megabases. That's a very, very small part of chromosome 22. All right, just to tell you how precise this is. And we're talking about gene number. It is 30 to 40 genes. That's it. That can be either very mild presentation or absolutely devastating. Now, that should really give you an appreciation of the, the delicate design uh, of the body. Anyway, I'm just fascinated by that. If you're ever asked to give examples of micro deletions, we have this one, 22Q, 11.2, a.k.a. DeGeorge syndrome. Uh, but there's others, right? If you remember going back to genetics, Prader-Willi is a deletion, micro-deletion on 15Q, all right? So Prader-Willi is 15Q. And then we all remember, or at least I do, Cree-Duchat. Cree-Duchat syndrome results from a micro-deletion on 5P. So everybody remember those? So DeGeorge is 22Q, 11.2. Prader-Willi is a micro-deletion on 15Q. And then Cree-Duchat is a micro-deletion on 5P. 
But in this episode, I really want to focus on just the George syndrome and review its genetic basis and its phenotypic expression because there's a lot to cover just on that. All right. We're going to talk about what features on ultrasound are suggestive of this condition. Uh, we've already mentioned the different phenotypes. And of course, we are going to mention some management principles uh, once a child is known to have this condition. This microdeletion 22Q11.2 is not super rare, but it's not super common. So it's kind of in the middle, right? And again, the reason that it's given the the estimate anywhere from 1 in 3,000 to 1 in 4,000 is because there's a large proportion that likely goes underdiagnosed or undiagnosed because of its very variable features, okay? So remember that there could be people with very mild manifestations that just ne never got their diagnosis. And, and that's important because if they do carry this autosomal dominant microdeletion, obviously they can pass that down uh, and that is expressed in an autosomal dominant form. So it is a real issue. Now, in the majority, vast majority of the cases, I mean, according to the data, it's 90%. 90% of the 22Q11.2 microdeletion cases happen as a result of just a random sporadic deletion during a cell division. Okay, so can, can there be a genetic component that gets passed down? Absolutely. But according to the data, that only happens in at max 10% of the cases, okay, where it's passed from one parent down to the child. And again, this is expressed as autosomal dominant. But 90% is considered to kind of just kind of pop up de novo. That's why uh, even though the both parents can have nothing going on, Boom, during cell division, just a little break in 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 this area, 22Q11.2 can happen, all right? So 90% are is thought to be random occurrence. 10% is thought to be passed from one parent down to the child. So remember what we just stated. If you ever asked either on an oral board or by a peer that the George syndrome, this microdeletion, is autosomal dominant. So even though the other part of chromosome 22, even though the other pair can be totally fine, like, hey, I don't have a microdeletion, I'm good. Um, that's not how it works. You just need one microdeletion on one of the chromosomes for this to have expression, all right? So the George is a microdeletion, can only happen on one chromosome 22. doesn't have to be both. And it is still expressible. It is autosomal dominant. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast family, we've already mentioned that this has a lot of vast clinical expressions, all right? Hence why there's so many different terms that actually were describing the same thing, but people never connected the dots, as we mentioned in the intro, all right? Now, for the purpose of this episode, because it's really annoying to always say 
22Q11.2. Sometimes I'll use that interchangeably with its formal name, DeGeorge. All right. So everybody good? So DeGeorge equals the same 22Q11.2. It's just easier to say that. But this really is very varied because just listen to this. Facial abnormalities may or may not be seen. Structural abnormalities, mainly of the heart. That's the big factor here. There's also uh, developmental behavioral issues, uh, like certain mental health conditions. Uh, we're going to talk about that as well. Renal, skeletal abnormalities, hearing loss. This is also a possibility with this condition. And it also affects levels of calcium because of abnormal parathyroid development. And if that was enough, immune deficiency can be a thing here because this is directly tied to thymic hypoplasia during organogenesis. You're like, well, how does that a thing? I'm going to tell you in a minute when we talk about the genetic basis of this. It really is remarkable because it turns out, well, let me just spill the beans here for a minute. Uh, as it turns out, those 30 to 40 genes really have to do with the third and fourth pharyngeal pouches during embryonic development. Y'all remember that during embryology? I thought embryology was just fascinating. Uh, and and it's, it is a thing. So third and fourth, those genes in some form have to do with the third and fourth pharyngeal pouch, which is why there's these uh, uh, oral facial uh, cleft defects, these palate abnormalities, and then uh, things that affect both the thymus and the parathyroid gland because that is part of, of the third and fourth pharyngeal pouch development, all right? Now, why this affects bones and renal system and neurobehavioral issues, that's a whole other unknown. Again, those are probably epigenetic changes. But the, the most uh, closely tied embryonic defect, if you're ever asked, is outside of where it is on the chromosome, that leads into, that. that is expressed by abnormal development of the third and fourth pharyngeal pouches. It has to do with how those progenitor cells migrate to their final destination. Amazing or what? So that, that's at the root of it. And there's, an also, there's also a, a certain set of transcriptor genes that are affected. Um, but I'm going to get into that in a minute, right? So we're talking about the pathophysiology. So we know where it is genetically. We know where it lives on the chromosome. We know what it does embryologically. It's the third and fourth pharyngeal pouches. And we know what it affects in terms of transcription. That's called the TBX1 gene. I'm going to tell you that in a minute. And then we know how it affects systems, in, ranging from uh, uh, facial defects to the heart, to the uh, kidneys, to bones, to the GI tract. Do you see what I mean? How varied is that? I mean, that's why I'm just so fascinated by this thing. And you guessed it a little bit uh, later on in the episode. I'm going to tell you just a brief touch of the history of that because... Wow. I mean, it's just amazing what, what people have attributed to this correctly, not knowing that it was all the same condition. Now, here's another clinical pearl we're about to drop right now, all right? Because all of those things sound terrible, and they are. But what is so freaky is that somebody can have DeGeorge and just have maybe mild facial issues. Somebody can have DeGeorge and have like severe immunological impairment with hypocalcemia leading to seizures uh, and severe uh, cardiac issues like tetralogy of flow or uh, aortic uh, conotruncal defects. Uh, it's super varied, all right? So let's say you're doing your oral boards and they say, hey, what does a patient with DeGeorge syndrome look like? Uh, your first answer is, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry, what? 
Yeah, because if you think of an answer, the answer is probably. Because there's such a varied penetration here and phenotype expression. Uh, then you go on to explain. And let me explain. So in some cases, they look like X, Y, or Z. In some cases, they can present with uh, A, B, C. And I'm going to give you all those varied presentations here in just a minute. But it is possible. One of the clinical pearls here that we're dropping is, is that this is possible to have a very, very minor condition which means they have no major structural uh, abnormalities, maybe just some uh, facial features and some neurodevelopmental delay uh, and some speech problems, but they've they've gone undiagnosed, all right? Because well, Uncle Bob looks weird, so Sally looks kind of strange. Well, maybe, maybe you know, maybe little Billy Joe has the same thing. I don't know where those names came from, uh, but but that's what I'm saying is people kind of mistake things like I don't know, he's kind of a little funny looking kid, and I don't know, that's about the end of that. No, that kid needs to probably be tested, especially if there's learning disability, all right? Because these microdeletions um, uh, are at the heart of some of them, not all of them, but some of those conditions. All right, everybody, brief history alert. Brace yourself. Here it comes. The DeGeorge syndrome was first described as a primary immunodeficiency that was also found in the presence of a hypoplastic thymus and parathyroid glands. Huh? How about that? You're like, well, my goodness, this kid has like bad immunity. And uh, what's up with the severe absence of the thymus or severe, severe hypo development? Weird, huh? This was first described in 1965, even though there's been other presentations obviously before that, but it wasn't really described as well as Dr. Angelo DeGeorge in his 1965 presentation. So Dr. Angelo DeGeorge, hence DeGeorge syndrome. Now, due to its known embryology at the time, this was thought to be that, that relationship of the third and fourth pharyngeal pouches and organogenesis and thymic and parathyroid development. So this, this physician and the scientific community said, wait, the thymus is off uh, and there's parathyroid deficiency and they have... Uh, immune deficiency as well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That has to do with the third and fourth pharyngeal pouch. So thank you, embryologists, for that contribution. So that was 1965. Now, fast forward about, oh, 15 to, to 20 years, and in the 80s, other conditions that that were similar to what DeGeorge said started being discussed and put forth in the literature, like velocardiofacial syndrome. Uh, and by the way, you're like, oh, the what? You know, the velocardiofacial syndrome. I remember learning that in genetics. You all remember that? It's it's VCFS, VCFS, velocardiofacial syndrome. Actually, it tells you what it is. That's why it's important to know Latin, all right? Because vellum means palate. So it affects the palate, a.k.a. the mouth, cardia, self-explanatory, the heart. And then facies, of course, has to do with the typical uh, abnormal uh, facial uh, development and phenotype. So velocardiofacial syndrome or VCFS, which is the same thing as DeGeorge, but they didn't put that together in the 80s, has to do with abnormal palate formation, either of the soft palate or even back with split called a, 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 a bivalve uh, uh, uvula where it's actually a, a two forked. Weird, right? Uh, and these breathing problems that come with that cardiac issues and abnormal facies, they call that VCFS. Well, it really was the same thing as DeGeorge in a different phenotype. So this is absolutely the same condition 
and there's been more than 60 different phenotypes and characteristics that have been attributed to the 22Q11.2 condition. But it wasn't until 1992 when the actual microdeletion, right? So we knew it was on, we knew something was going on before that on the 22nd chromosome. We knew that. But it got really honed down. It got put on its little GPS to Q11.2 in 1992. All right. So DeGeorge started it in the 60s and the 80s. are like, oh, there's other weird stuff going on here. And then in 1992, the entire thing got honed down, even though we knew that something was wrong with the 22nd chromosome, the long arm. It got honed down. The address was pinned down to Q11.2. Okay, we know it's a micro deletion. We've already discussed that. We discussed that it's 30 to 40 genes that could be affected. And in 90% of patients, the, the area that's actually missing on the Q arm, the long arm of chromosome 22, is about three megabases. That's not a lot, guys, all right? Now, this is why this three megabase is a big deal because that's what typically cell-free DNA, NIPS, right? So NIPS testing is looking for in those companies that offer expanded cell-free DNA or NIPS tests for, for microdeletions. Now, even though there are some NIPS tests that can do that, let's be very clear here, those are screening uh, and they're not considered diagnostic, and ACOG doesn't like it. Let's just stop there because you need this is such a big deal. You got to get right that the only way to do that is a true diagnostic test. And I wasn't supposed to talk about this now because it's coming later, but I just wanted to let stick that out there that, that there's too much to risk here if you don't find it. And even though the sensitivity and specificities have been shown to be pretty good, it's tied to the number of bases that are missing. So NIPS tests are really meant for those three uh, megabases or more, because it could be up to five. But but in some cases, in some cases, about 10% of the cases, the number of bases that are lost are like 1.5 to 2 megabases, and it's going to miss that on NIPS, all right? So all to say, can, are there some, some non-invasive prenatal tests that can look for microdeletions? Absolutely. But there's concern about their accuracy, about their validity. And even though 90% of patients have that number of bases missed where NIPS will find it at three megabases to five, some will be less and you could potentially miss it. So to be very clear, ACOG right now is just don't go there. Uh, st stick to your road, stay in your lane. You know what you're looking for uh, in terms of 13, 21 sex hormone abnormalities in 18, right? The aneuploidies and microdeletions really need a formal diagnostic test, which we'll talk about in a minute. All right, podcast family, hang in there with me because we are getting close to the end here. And now we, I want to get into some of the phenotypic expressions, how this can actually manifest, okay? And then very quickly, we're going to talk about diagnosis, even though We've already alluded to that, that this requires a formal diagnostic procedure like amnio with chromosomal microarray, not just a karyotype, which just counts the, the, the pairs like the old memory card game as a kid, you know, match up the pairs that are the same. No, no, this requires microarray analysis because you need that definition, that, that, that karyotype 2.0, if you will, that can find these copy number variants and this deletion, all right? So this requires true amnio or CV. Yes, it requires um, a, 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 a definitive diagnostic tool uh, and or you could do a fish uh, fluorescent in situ hybridization for this kind of, of gap. 
but the majority of the time is done by a chromosomal microarray analysis. Well, I said we were going to do diagnosis later. I guess we just did. So now let's focus a little bit on the, on the varied presentation, the phenotypes of this condition. Well, we've already stated that several areas of the body, in fact, many areas of the body, many systems can be infected, but the, the prototypical includes craniofacial anomalies, uh, congenital heart defects, of course, uh, and some neurodevelopmental disorders. So let's first start here with the facial anomalies because the craniofacial issues are, are pretty interesting. Remember, it all goes back to that third and fourth pharyngeal pouch, which has its its manifestation in the transcription genes called TBX1. All right, so that's what we're looking for. So it's it's uh, we did this before. It's on the chromosome. It's on uh, uh, region one, band one, sub band two, which loses about thirty to forty bases, which affects the transcription genes for TBX1, which is the pharyngeal pouches, which leads to this altered. A craniofacial development. See, it's all related, okay? So for these abnormal facies, and again, some people have some of these, some have all of them, but, but just remember, it's very variable in its penetration. For the facial features of classic DeGeorge syndrome with more full penetration, full penetrance, this can include hooded eyelids, very flat cheeks, a prominent or a bulbous nose, kind of like a little puffy at the tip, right? So rather than just a normal uh, n- nasal bridge uh, and nasal tip, it's kind of, it's called a bulbous nose. It can have an underdeveloped chin. It can have ears with uh, different uh, anatomy, different look to the lobes. That's, you got to check out that picture. It's really interesting. And of course, there's all of the oral uh, a cleft and palate defects ranging from just a U-shaped palate to a cleft lip and palate. Now, in some of these affected individuals, you actually have to look into the mouth because they may not have the overt external cleft lip and palate. But when you look into the mouth, it's interesting because they can have that bifid uvula or they have a very high arch to their palate. It's called a U-shaped uh, palate, and, and that's abnormal. When that is present, guys, right, when they have that U-shaped palate and a small jaw, that's a specific manifestation of 22Q11.2 called the Pierre-Robin syndrome. Y'all remember that? Pierre-Robin syndrome. Little, small, uh, back-set jaw, U-shaped palate. That's a genetic condition, and it's a form of DeGeorge 22Q11.2. That's called the Pierre-Robin syndrome. The classic cardiac defects have to do with either conotruncal abnormalities or tetralogy of Fallot. And several studies have recommended that any child with a congenital heart defect detected on prenatal ultrasound should be tested for 22Q11 deletions because in some publications, up to 20% of these syndromic heart defects are caused by this very microdeletion. Now, here's another clinical pearl, all right? Just to let you know just how vast and broad this issue of DeGeorge syndrome is, is that it's also called catch 22 right so let's stop here for a minute see this is why this condition is a little confusing and why that that attending that we mentioned in the intro 
uh, kind of separated that as a whole other condition from velocraniofacial syndrome because there's all these different names that are all tied to the same micro deletion. Okay, so there's DeGeorge, there's 22Q, 11.2, which is the preferred way of calling it. There's a velocraniofacial syndrome. All of these things are manifestations. Oh, there's the one that we just talked about, of course, a Pierre Robin syndrome. They're all related because people described all these different variety of things that are all linked to that same area. And so the question is, well, how can one little micro deletion cause all, cause all that? Well, it depends where that specific deletion and which specific genes are knocked out. Does that make sense? Remember, we said it's 30 to 40 genes. Well, which ones are affected dictates the kind of phenotypic expression along with epigenetic changes, uh, what actually is diagnosed. Is that wild or what? So CATCH-22 is yet another term for this syndromic box of abnormalities. That's CATCH, as in, hey, you're not CATCH-22, C-A-T-C-H. And that stands for something, so it's, it's a good mnemonic. So remember, CATCH-22 for DeGeorge syndrome. That stands for C, cardiac defects. The A is abnormal facies. The T in CATCH is thymic hypoplasia. That's followed by cleft palate. That's the C. And then the H is hypocalcemia. And then 22 is because it's on chromosome 22. That's kind of cool, right? So catch 22. That makes sense. Again, the catch, C-A-T-C-H, stands for cardiac defects, abnormal facies, thymic hypoplasia, cleft palate, and hypocalcemia. All right, everyone, we're talking about the clinical manifestation, the varied phenotypes of 22Q11.2. And just as a reminder, it's really not an 11. Remember, it's one, which is region one, band one, but it's easier to say 11 instead of 22Q11.2. We discussed that earlier, so I just have to clarify that, okay? So outside of those physical manifestations, there's also some neurobehavioral abnormalities that go along with this syndrome as part of its, its very varied, uh, varied penetration and, and penetrance. This has presentations like attention deficit hyperactivity, autism spectrum, uh, defects or abnormalities in communication and social interactions. All of these things, and of course, learning disabilities in general, have all been linked to this kind of microdeletion. Now, some are very mild learning disabilities and some are very profound, which just goes to the continued mystery and complexity of this syndrome. So again, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, if somebody asks, well, what does this condition look like? And the answer is yes. I mean, pick it. It could hit that organ. I mean, from renal to skeletal to GI to thymic to the face to the heart, um, all of these things are, are potentially uh, at risk even neurodevelopment with things like uh, social adjustment, communication disorders, attention deficit, and even ASD, autism spectrum, all been linked to this microdeletion. Oof, I was told I'm talking too much. And we've already covered diagnosis, right? So let's, let's kind of skip over that. But the short of it is, if you see a child on prenatal ultrasound that has, wow, some kind of really something odd on congenital anomaly, don't just send them for chromosomal karyotype. Look, karyotype has a place and it's less expensive than microarray. I get that. And that can give you quick answers like trisomy 13, 18, uh, uh, 13. 
uh, wait, what did I say? <laughs> Trisomy 21, 13, and 18, uh, and abnormalities with the sex chromosome. So that's great for karyotype. But things like microdeletions, you need chromosomal microarray analysis. We covered this, oh my goodness, years ago on the podcast, and maybe somewhere on the archive. But I call that uh, karyotype 2.0 because rather than just counting pairs, you really take a look at the specific bands and the areas. So short of it is if you detect anything, especially cardiac, ACOG and SMFM says, hey, that requires diagnostic testing and send it for chromosomal microarray and even check that little box to look for microdeletions. All right, now we're at the end. I'm sorry, guys, if I kind of seem very voluminous, very vocal in this. I just... I just think it's so fascinating. Well, first of all, how do you be brief on the George? I mean, there's just so many things to cover. Um, and so I'm trying to do it justice. And and I just, I'm really taken aback. I feel bad that this resident, was, well, one, I'm th- glad that they had the, the comfort level to reach out, as they always should, uh, and to go, I mean, I don't think that's right. I mean, I looked it up and it clearly says that I, I think it's, it's related, uh, but it's so confusing because people call the same condition so many things and, and she's right. But I just, oh man, that attending gave that, that resident some bad info. So, and, and it's, if you don't know something, guys, that's a side note. If you don't know something, don't make up something. I mean, just look it up or go, Hey man, I don't know. That's a good question. Let me, let me get back to you on that. Uh, because rather than making somebody go south in, in the wrong information, you, you really want to do your due diligence and, and educate somebody correctly. See, once again, I have totally gone side road here. Let me go back as we get ready to end this. Let's get back on track and just end this with how the George syndrome is treated. Okay, well, you guessed it. Since the condition is broad, the treatment is broad. Obviously, it makes sense that if there's something physical and structural that needs to be fixed, like open a heart surgery for a true cardiac abnormality, you got to fix that. You got to fix a a cleft lip and palate. That makes sense. But outside of the surgical issues, there's also, remember, all the different boxes that that, that can be hit and which need correction. So if the person is... uh, it has thymic hypoplasia. Well, you got to make sure that they don't get, uh, they're not at risk for certain infections. So some some authorities, especially in immunology, recommend antibiotic suppression for these patients or at least tracking of their T-cells. There's also the need for calcium supplementation based on the degree of hypocalcemia because remember that the parathyroid glands are also affected here. So calcium and vitamin D supplementation. If they have difficulty with their ears, which is part of that pharyngeal development, then eustachian tubes or hearing aids may be necessary. If there are developmental delays or speech delays, then obviously occupational or or um, speech path, speech, speech pathology will need to be done. And lastly, if there are true seizures uh, due to these uh, abnormalities, mainly linked to hypocalcemia, some neurologists recommend placing these patients based on the, the number of seizures on anti-seizure medications. So, Wow, you see how varied that is? I mean, we're talking from just calcium and vitamin D to severe open-heart surgery. It just depends on what the phenotypic expression is. That depends and that will guide any kind of treatment for this condition. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. So whether you call it velocraniofacial syndrome or... uh, 
Pierre-Robin syndrome, or if you call it DeGeorge or 22Q11.2, yep, all pretty much the same thing, all right? That's why it's important to know the different names of things. And that's the main reason that people are saying, forget the names, just call it what it is. Call it this deletion syndrome. It's syndromic, okay? There's so many syndromic means that there's a lot of manifestations of it. So 22Q11.2, otherwise known as 22Q11.2. I hope you found this interesting and cleared up some um, some confusion. Uh, I always learn something from from our residents and from uh, from reading as we prepare some of these materials. So anyway, I hope you found it helpful. As always, we're thankful for you and we're glad you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.